Hello, everybody. This is Anthony with Be the Gospel. Thank you for tuning in. We have an interesting topic for today. And we're going to be talking about the epistle of, of James and how it's relevant for the church today. But first, before we get into that, um, we just came back from a trip from Brazil and Bolivia. And I just want to tell you a little bit about my trip. And I'm also going to be releasing an article in the very near future concerning it as well, just testifying to God's goodness. And when he tells you he's going to stretch you, um, how he does so. (laughs) So it was an amazing trip. We saw many people healed, many amazing uh, miracles, and just one thing after another. It was was just God-ordained all the way through there. And then on this trip in particular, we prophesied a lot more than we have in any other trip. Uh, one of the churches, we did a worship and prophecy night. And there was three of us prophesying, and there was probably 100, in, in, 100 people in every line. So in a couple hours, uh, we had to prophesy over about 100 people each, you know. <laughs> so it was it was really awesome to see how God immediately goes straight for the heart as we yield and surrender to him and how he was revealing things about the people and their, and their future and the plans that he has for them. It was just God. Awesome. You know, it was just so amazing to see the different facets and, and the different aspects of God and how he, he communicated to each one and how he loved on each one in different ways so they were they were able to understand it and and after a while the joke became um you know if you want to cry have anthony prophesy over you <laughs> and so it's not that i was making them cry as much as you know as soon as i yield uh, to the spirit of god he immediately touches their heart he goes to the heart of the 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 issue or the, the heart of the questions and, and things that people are asking or as they're asking about their future or, you know, whatever the case may be, God was definitely bringing insight into each area. And it was just, it was just so amazing. It was, it was very humbling uh, to be part of something so intricate, so um, uh, consequential, important, because it's not like you're just making stuff up, right? It's you're speaking the very words of God into these people's lives. And it's not something to take lightly at all. And one of the the things that came from this, which is very interesting, the last time I was in Brazil, there was a couple, they asked me to, to, you know, prophesy to them because they they needed to make some decisions. And so I said, okay, God, I was like, we need to hear from you. So I just opened my mouth and, I just started prophesying over them. And uh, so when I saw them this time, they're like, do you have another prophecy for us? <laughs> I started laughing because I'm like, well, God's always talking. It's just a matter of being obedient and surrendering to him. And he begins to speak through you. And so I said, he always has the word. And so um, instead of looking at it as a one-time event or something like that, it's always listening to God and communicating what he's saying and so basically um i later found out that the when i had prophesied the first time 
that everything that God said through me came to pass exactly as it was said. There was like no gray areas. There was no uncertainty. Like exactly the way God laid everything out is exactly how it happened. And it was just such a blessing um, to hear back from stuff like that, how, how God um, came through 100% of the time. And, and that wasn't the only couple that came to us and told us that, that we had a number of, of similar people uh, come to us and, and tell us the exact same thing. And so it was just very awesome to see that how we just humble ourselves before God and we surrender our mouths, we surrender our ears, our thoughts, we surrender everything to him how he flows through us and, and with us, you know, begins to impact people. I mean, talking about people in severe depression and different things, and God just steps in and just cuts through all the fluff, all the, the emotional baggage and everything, goes straight to the core issue and deals with that, and it completely liberates the people. And like I said, it's, there's nothing that can compare it to it. It's just absolutely beautiful how God does this. And the more I step into it, the more I've been, uh, I guess you can say, practicing or activating this in my life. Um, it's It's been just phenomenal. Um, I, I don't know how to put it into words exactly, how God just steps into a situation and he brings kingdom reality. He brings kingdom, um, his kingdom, his his heart into the situation and completely turns people's lives upside down. And so we go to the first city in, in Bolivia and there was a lady, she was blind, she couldn't see, she had to be led around. They had to help her dress and I mean, all kinds of stuff. I said, okay, well, God's going God's gonna to take care of it. Prayed for her um, over the course of three days. I'd like to tell you it was instant, um, but her vision got instantly better each time we prayed, but it wasn't 100% um, that first day. It, it, it improved by like 20% that first day. And uh, we prayed for her the second day and improved another 10, 20%. And we prayed again and improved another 10, 20%. And so she started doing the dishes. She started walking around by herself. I mean, huge things that um, she was kind of entering into a depression because she couldn't see anything. She couldn't participate. She was just there trapped in her own thoughts, you know, because she had nothing to see. All she had to do, she could do is hear and think. And so it was just amazing how God just was setting her free. And it was gradually. And so... I understand what I teach. I believe in the instant. I believe God, the miracles, and and everything. But in this situation, and understand, I'm not trying to make the sacred cow or anything like that, uh, or a tradition of men. But in the situation, I saw how God knew how to minister to the person. Like if He would have done it instantly, yes, it would have been awesome. It would have been amazing but God was doing more than healing her vision he was renewing her mind and so as her mind was being renewed 
her vision was coming back as well. Because a lot of times we just get caught up in the negativity and, and we focus, we hyper-focus on that, and we, we dwell on it, and it produces bitterness and anger and hatred and, and unforgiveness and all this stuff. Um, but if we're ever just to step outside of that, and so I could see how God was stepping in and changing the situation. He was, he was changing everything slowly. And it, this wasn't the only time. We went to the, the third, our third stop in Bolivia. There was a young girl, deaf, since she was born. She could not hear. And I thought she could, you know. <laughs> and so um, she would just watch her lips and then, like, so when she began to speak, you can tell she was deaf. Pronunciate the words correctly. And she says, okay. I was like, well, how would you like to hear now? And she's like, absolutely. So I, uh, my wife and I, we lay hands on her and we start praying. And her ears open up. She can hear. She can hear snaps. She can hear different sounds and everything. And then God specifically told me he, was gonna, he didn't want to bombard her senses. So over the next several days, she was going to be able to hear more and more different, you know, the, uh, more frequencies uh, so that she wouldn't be, you know, completely freaked out as soon as, because she's never heard in her life, right? And then all of a sudden, here she is able to hear. She wouldn't be able to make sense of a lot of what was going on. So God specifically told me he was going to start, um, and the healing was done. But he was basically like turning up the volume of the sound as as the days went by. And sure enough, by third day, she was listening to music. She was starting to, you know, formulate her words. Very smart young lady. I mean, just just amazing. Every her dad's a pastor doing amazing work. Over 500 youth ministering in one of the worst parts of the city of La Paz, and just he 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 didn't understand that God is healer 100% of the time. And so when we met him, he took us to his family's house and his mother had Parkinson's and her hands are, her hand was just shaking as we're talking to her. Just lay hands on her, rebuke the Parkinson's and the shaking just stops completely. And she just starts praising God. A beautiful, beautiful moment. Then the sister goes, I'm next. Um, they, they diagnosed me with the tumor and they said it's inoperable it's metastasized um, I'm in pain there's nothing they can do for me anymore so they sent me home to die and said oh okay well easy for God and so just grabbed her hands prayed for her excuse me and when we prayed for her she said she felt this huge weight being lifted off her back. So she didn't even tell me her back was hurting. But her back was healed. She was completely set free. And over the next three days, the tumor shrunk. The skin turned back to normal color. I mean, it's just amazing things that, that happened. And just this meeting this one family. And then the other sister comes out, and she's struggling with severe depression because of some life choices and stuff and God just told me to prophesy over her so that's what I did I prayed and I prophesied over her and when I saw her the next time 
I didn't even recognize her. Her entire countenance changed. And it was just, like I said, it was just absolutely amazing. There's no words to be able to put in um, into the situation to, to give it any justice. And in the second city, I mean, there was tons of miracles every day. Understand what I'm saying here. Uh, but there were some, some, some ones that um, really stood out to me. And so in the second city, we get called to go to the hospital because this lady had a, a blood clot in her leg and it traveled to her brain. And they put her into an induced coma uh, because they didn't want it to basically for her to have um, an aneurysm and, and die. So um, go, they don't want to let me in to go pray for her because it's a private hospital. And the, the public hospitals, I can, I have free reign. I can go anywhere, pray for anyone. I, all I got to do is leave my passport with the security. And they allow me to go travel through and, and pray for whoever I want as a ministry. But at the private hospital, it's a lot more strict. And so finally they convinced them to let me in. And I told them, I just need 30 seconds. Just give me 30 seconds. And so the nurse goes, 30 seconds. I go, I promise you just 30 seconds. She says, okay. So I go in. I have to completely gown up. I mean, I'm, I've got gloves, hairnet, mask, booties on my feet, and the whole gown. Uh, because they didn't know if it's contagious or what exactly um, was, was also causing the problems with the blood clotting and everything. I understand. So I just walked in, laid my hand on her leg, and I told her basically to wake up. And I told all sickness and weakness to go from her body. I turned back around and walked back out. I'm, I'm taking off my the, the smock or the gown or whatever and everything. And the main nurse is looking at me like, um, you're done? I go, you said 30 seconds. She goes, yeah. I go, well, then I was keeping my word, 30 seconds. She goes, and so I handed everything back to her. She's like, okay. And I walk out. I went to go comfort the family. Excuse me. Excuse me. I had something caught in my throat. So I went to go comfort the family, and we just prayed with family, talked to the family, just encouraged them in the Lord and, and with Scripture and, and just reinforcing to them that God has the last say and um, that she would wake up in several days and um, she'll be perfectly fine. Because they were telling her, they're gonna have to do surgery. They have to do brain surgery. Probably brain damage. She's probably not gonna be able to talk. She's probably gonna be able to walk. She's gonna be a vegetable. You know the whole rhetoric. Normal, normal. Uh, but it's not what God said. You know, and He says, "Really, hands on the sick and they recover." And I said, "I lay hands, so she's gonna recover." And the next week, I found out she she woke up. Kept monitoring her. She woke up speaking and talking and responding and and moving around. And so three days later, they released her to go home, and she's completely healed. They couldn't find any, any, anything with the blood clot. So that was amazing, amazing. And like I said, we had many encounters, many different things um, that we experienced throughout the trip. And it was just one thing after another. And I can, I'm, if I look at pictures, I can recount every healing and every miracle, and what happened, and how it happened, uh, because it kind of just gets ingrained in you, and the Spirit of God just, from, He remembers every single one, because they're so precious to Him, and as you see it, it kind of just stirs it back up again, and it's like you're there all over again, and so 
yeah, so that was a little bit about our trip, and also we were able to bless a number of people um, with one, we, we helped a lady buy a sewing machine. She was doing all hand stitching. She was a pastor's wife, and um, well, she's a pastor as well. And so she was doing all this handmade clothes being sewn by hand. Very nice stuff. Um, I'm going to share some of this stuff on Facebook later. And she goes, I could work so much faster if I had a sewing machine. And I said, oh, okay, great. So our team, we we got together and we talked about it. And so she didn't ask us for any money or anything like that, but we we took we took up an offering amongst ourselves and uh, we blessed her with a sewing machine. And so now she's going to take uh, sewing courses and, and everything. And it's just amazing to see how when a need was there, it was presented how God rose to meet the, meet the need um, to really reinforce to the people what, what God is doing and, and how he cares for them and how he loves them and everything. It's just, it's just so, so amazing. So amazing. This, this trip was definitely very different from all the trips that we've had. And it was still vitally important. It was still absolutely amazing. <laughs> And we, it's like God has laid a lot of the foundation and and gone back and started building on it. So what I'm going to be sharing with you today, as we walk with James through his epistle, is a message for the Western church, for sure. I mean, I'm sure it applies to the church around the world. It's in the Bible, right? Um, but we have been the biggest violators of what James is pointing out and what he's bringing to the forefront. And on this trip, I really began to see, I I really began to understand uh, James's heart and why he wrote what he did. And, and getting to that, we're going to go through a large passages of, of James. And so we'll be doing quite a bit of reading, but you're going to see exactly what I'm saying that James was rebuking the church, calling them back to Christ. He was calling them back to God. It, was, it wasn't a friendly letter at all, not in the slightest. The word usage that he uses is, is very shocking. And the fact that as a, as a church, we've gone back and We've grabbed scriptures from there and we've twisted them to say something they don't say at all um, so that we can sound spiritual. We can sound, you know, or super spiritual or, you know, like the super apostles. <laughs> and, and in reality, that's not what's being communicated. Taking God's word and that, he, that James is delivering to the church. And we made it something completely different from its original intention and, and according to its context. And so this is really begins to, to rub me wrong. And I begin to realize this. God is relaying the foundation in the church. And you, I can tell you, you're going to see it in many churches around the United States, around Western culture, where there's just a shift in the spirit, where um, there's just a focus and a, and a desire 
and a passion for solid truth. God's bringing up more insight into his word. He's, he's bringing all this out because we've been seeking for it, right? It says, where you seek, you shall find. So as we're seeking these things out, we're beginning to see them like we've never seen them before. Even though we've read the passages thousands of times, or more than that, right? Especially if you grow up in, in, in church, you just you hear it, and you see it, and you read it, and you hear it, and you see it, and you read it, and it's this whole cycle. And and we think just because we've heard it, we've seen it, you know, we've read it, that we believe it. And if that were true, we wouldn't be where we're at as a church in Western culture right now. Kind of dive into this. We're going to start in the first chapter. We're going to talk about testing of your of your trust, right? Because faith means trust. We're about we're going to talk about testing of your trust, and we're going to. I just want you to see where James is bringing correction, and he's rebuking the church, so you can see for yourself. And as it sets the tone all the way to chapter four, for for what's coming. All right. So give me a second. I'm getting some stuff together here. All right, so here we go, and I'm in the ESV version, English Standard Version, so you can follow along. And so in verse 2, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your trust produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So, as we've been talking about laying the foundation and, and showing how we're not missing anything in Christ Jesus, where there's nothing lacking from us, this is exactly what he's saying. He says, let your trust be tested, right? For you know that the testing of your trust produces steadfastness, meaning you're not going to be moved. Because you're fully trusting in God. In verse 4, let steadfastness have its full effect, not partial effect, its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I mean, I can talk about these three verses for quite a while just because of the depth of insight that he, James is delivering to the church. But let's continue. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Okay, let me stop there. So if we go to 1 Corinthians one thirty. It says that Jesus has been made unto us wisdom. All these things, or sorry, not repentance, righteousness, sanctification. And so we can see that Jesus is wisdom. So he's telling them, anyone who lacks Jesus, let him ask God. See, Scripture interprets Scripture. So let me continue. And I'll, I'm telling you, it'll all start making sense. But let him ask in trust with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded person, 
unstable in all his ways. See, so here we can see, excuse me, it says, let him ask and trust. So when when you come to God, when, when Jesus brings you to that point of reality or consciousness where you realize that you need a Savior because you're drowning in sin, you need someone to come and save you. And we do that by, we, we approach God by saying we trust that you took our sin and gave us righteousness. We trust that the penalty of sin has been paid for by the death of Jesus on the cross. And then on the third day, he rose from the grave. Right? He rose from the grave. And now is seated at the right hand of the Father. So all this, you understand, it comes together and it starts making sense because you begin to see what he's telling them. He goes, let him ask in trust. So when you say that and you you believe God, you're trusting God, you're trusting Jesus, that your sins are remembered no more. You're trusting God that, as he said, that as far as the east is from the west, as he separated us from our sins that we can see this in Christ Jesus, that it's no longer part of our life. It's no longer who we are because that person has been put to death, according to Romans 6, excuse me, and Colossians 2. And you begin to see exactly the plan that God has laid out in, in this. And he says, why saying, if you, if you are coming to Christ and and saying, I need you. I, I need a Savior. I, I surrender. I believe what your word says, that you have made um, a substitution. You have made a ransom. You have made, I'm using all these words purposely, um, and we'll get to that at another time. You, you have become my redeemer to redeem me from sin and reconcile me back to God back into communion, back into union with him in you. You've made me the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You have made me righteous. You have made me holy. You have made all these things that are, is the very character and the nature of God, and it only happens by Jesus Christ, right? So it says that if you doubt that, That you're like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. And this is exactly what we're seeing in the church. People don't understand that they need to awaken to righteousness, awaken to the reality that, that Jesus did what he said he did, and that you are who he says you are. That he's the firstborn among many. So he's the firstborn, and we come after him. And because we have entered into him and him into us, this is his idea. It's not our idea. It's his idea. It's written in his word. It's in the prophets. It's also in the, in the New Testament. This is what Paul's bringing out, the, the Christ in you, the expectation of glory, right? So when you begin to see what he's telling them, he's like, hey, if you doubt this, you're going to be uncertain in, in everything. And you can't suppose 
to ask God for anything. It says, for the person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man or person, unstable in all his ways. And so the reason I'm bringing this up is, please understand, I'm not trying to attack the church. I'm just trying to bring some awareness. Awareness that this is what's going on. This is the culture we have been breeding for the last 30, 40 years where people don't know who Christ is in them. Don't know. Maybe it's been longer than that. So what? The point is, is let's get back to the truth. Let's get back to the word. Let's get back to exactly what, what God says. And so as we see this, I'm telling you, it, it all encompasses, it comes together. It's, it, uh, let's just continue. <laughs> Verse 9, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, in the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flowers falls, its flower falls, its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. But look at verse twelve. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life, which God has purposed to those who love him. Okay. He's summing up in context what he's talking about in verse 9, 10, and 11. It says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast, unmovable, unshakable, under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. When does that happen? Hmm? It says, which God has promised to those who love him. So you see, it's he's saying everything else is vanity. If you're rich or poor, that's not what matters. What matters is that you have been reunited. You have been brought back into communion and union and reconciled back to God and received the crown of life. Verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted. I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Okay, let's break this scripture apart a little bit. So here, it seems like he's, he's kind of changing gears, and he's shifting directions, but he's pushing towards the goal, and he's hammering very harshly everything that, I mean, he's just, he's just going after the church, um, the fallen away church. And so... It says, let no one say he is tempted um, as, as I am being tempted by God. Because what he's saying is, is there's no evil in God. Okay? So if there was evil in God, then that would be his nature, and then he would be able to tempt you with that evil. But that's not the case. Right? He's not leading you away from himself. So how would you be tempted by God? See, it, it just doesn't make sense. And this is what he's explaining. He says, he himself tempts no one. He says, but to each person 
is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Verse 16, do not be deceived by my uh, my beloved brothers. Every good gift coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change or variation, right? So think about this. Jesus comes from the Father and says, no one has gone to the Father or, or ascended to the Father except for the Son of man who has come down from the Father who knows him because I was with him. This is Jesus' words. So here Jesus is telling you, or James is telling you, that Jesus is the good gift. He's the perfect gift which comes down from above. And everything flows through him. So it says every good gift, every perfect gift, is from above. You see how it kind of ties together? It kind of works in unison. Verse 18. Of his own, when he, of his own, well, he brought us forth by the word of truth. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. What did I say? He's the, the firstborn among many. Verse 19, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So he's telling them, listen. Don't say anything. Listen. Don't get upset easy. Because out of your your natural emotion of anger it doesn't produce the righteousness. Verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So here he's telling them, put away your sin, put away the wickedness and receive the word of God, which is able to save you, save your lives. So if they were saved, he's talking to the church. So if they were saved, why would he be telling them which is able to save your soul? Is able to save your life. Right? Verse 22. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty. So he's clarifying himself. What is the perfect law? The law of liberty. And perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. Explain this here in a second, but Remember this, okay? We're going to come back and we're going to, we're going to go over this. So, verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, 
So who does it deceive? It deceives his own heart. This person's religion, religion is worthless. It's, it's nothing. In verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Hmm. So he's calling them out in this area. But let's continue. Chapter 2. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the trust in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring, fine clothing, comes to your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in the good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, you sit at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So here he's accusing that line of thinking as being evil. And he's calling them out for, for basically showing favoritism to the different brothers depending on their situation of life. I'm telling you, this is very deep, and he's, he's hitting them hard. He's not pulling any punches. He says, listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in trust and heirs of the kingdom? which he has promised to those who love him, but you have dishonored the poor man. So here he's saying, they have committed that. They've done that. They've dishonored the poor man. Are you not the rich? Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? The ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme in the honorable name of, by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, see, if you show favoritism, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law, but fails in one point, has become guilty of all the law. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. And if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So here, you can see he's, he, he's laying into them. He's, he's calling them out on their conduct. He's calling, calling them out on, on violating the law and treating people in different uh, or treating them different, sorry, and, and not treating them all as heirs in the kingdom of God because of how they see them or how they're viewed. Verse 14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has trust but does not have works? Can the trust save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be filled, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also, trust by itself, it does not if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, I have trust and I have works. Show me your trust apart from your works, and I will show you my trust by my works. 
You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the devils believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you, um, you foolish person, that trust apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that trust was active along with his works, and trust was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see, the person is justified by works. Um, you see that a person is justified by works and not by trust alone. In the same way, was not, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works she, when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? So let me, let me back up a little bit. Let's, let's, let's go back to verse 14 um, all the way through 19. So, so you can kind of see, or 20, so you can see exactly what James is, is rebuking him of and what he's getting after them for. So he's telling them, hey, anybody can have trust and say that they trust. Prove it. That's what he's saying. You say you trust that chair to support you. Prove it. Show the action. This is what he's getting at. He's like, show me that what you're saying is true. Show me that you believe what you, you're saying or, or what are your actions. Your actions show what you believe. It's, it's a paradox, right? How you can say something, but if you don't act in that manner, if you don't live in that manner, if that's not your lifestyle, then that's not really what you believe, is it? Because if you believed it, you would treat it wholeheartedly as something that could not be refuted, and you would live it out and walk it out on a daily basis. And this is what he's telling them. You have trust, and I have works. So I can show you my trust by my works. See, so he's not saying that he's saved by his works. He's saying that he can demonstrate his trust, that his trust is real, that, that the trust isn't just empty words or, uh, or an, a high inclination of or intellect. No, he's saying, I can show you my trust is tangible. You can see it by how I live. You can see it by how I treat others. You can see it by, you can see God in me because of how I, can, I walk in the manner, in my conversation, in my thoughts. And you can see all of that by my actions. This is what he's saying here. Then he goes on and he starts talking about Abraham. He starts talking about Rahab, the prostitute. And he's pointing out Justified by works, you have to be able to show, you have to be able to demonstrate your trust in God, not just say, I trust you, God. And a great example is we do this with love, right? We say, oh, especially when we're in middle school and high school and, and even college, oh, I love you, oh, I love you. And we have no idea what love is. Let's be honest. We think it's, 
promotion or because they give us butterflies or, you know, whatever the case may be. And we think that that is love. And honestly, most of the time, it's not. It's lust. Right? So being real, let's say a young couple, they get married. And the, the boyfriend or the husband now wakes up in the morning and he goes and he just lays at his wife's feet and says, I love you. I love you so much. You're just so amazing. And she's just soaking it up. Oh, yes, this is so good. I have the best husband in the world. Oh, yeah. Wait four hours of him doing the exact same thing over and over and over. The way it shows it on the Hallmark Channel. Well, hello. Who's who's dictating to you what is love? That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Right? So it says that we know love because he first loved us. Also love God. And from that love flowing out of us. We we learn to love ourselves and we learn to love others from his love. Right? But if you're sitting all day at your spouse's feet, just telling them how much you appreciate them and love them and care for them and you adore them, and there's no action, at some point they're gonna say, Hey, we need to pay bills. Hey, demonstrate that love to me. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying in John 15. If you love me, if you, if you want to demonstrate your love to me, obey my word. There's got to be some action. And this is all he's explaining. He's not saying anything contradictory to what it says in, in the other epistles that you know, we're, we're saved through faith, right? Through trust. He's just saying your trust should produce good works. Anybody can say they trust, but through trials, becoming steadfast, becoming immovable, you produce good works. On this trip, we didn't have all the finances to, to book every flight and hotel and car rental that we needed on this trip. We didn't, we didn't have it. And so I did a, a fundraiser on Facebook and a lot of people, they, they started donating and, and participating. And, and so we were able to raise enough money to fly one way. Cause I had the money for myself, but for, for my wife, we were able to fly one way for both of us. So, so it was either one round trip ticket for me or we both go. And so we prayed about it and believe God wanted us to both go. And um, just for practicality reasons, as well as um, we, we glean a lot off each other as God's doing certain things. We book our flight to go one, to the first city in, in Bolivia. We have no idea where the money's going to come from for the next ticket to the second city or to the third city 
or from the third city, how are we going to get to Brazil? We have no idea. We just know that God is supplier, that God is provider. And he told us to go, and if he told us to go, where he guides, he provides. And it's not just a fancy thing. It's, it's showing that we placed our trust completely in him. Don't, please understand, we had our weak moments. We had our moments of weakness. We had our moments where we were freaking out. But at some point, we resolved within ourselves to trust God over what we were feeling and what we were sensing and what we were going through. And I can tell you, I am back in Texas right now. Whenever the need came up, God provided it. Yes, we could have booked the tickets way in advance. It would have been cheaper. It would have been better. better. But God told me he was going to stretch our trust this trip. He was going to stretch our faith. I had no idea what he meant. And so as we're going through all these different situations, I began to realize, now I can say, I trust God as my provider. I step out. I'm obedient. I do what he says. I surrender to his will. I, I say what he wants me to say. I do what he wants me to do. And as we needed to book tickets to the next city, Boom. And we need to go to the next country. Boom. It came in. And so after the first two times it happened, we just learned, hey, God has his timing. And and understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying, oh, well, um, uh, that it's a negative thing. No, no, no. What I'm saying is God, I, he, he told me. He informed me. He was teaching us a lesson. And and so from that point, here I am viewing everything from this perspective where I'm I'm able to see what God is doing behind the scenes and he's doing in my own heart and what he's doing in the situation and not giving into fear, not giving into doubt or anything else, but standing on his word that God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus and being able to say, God provides for me and my wife, and in every need that comes up, he takes care of. So by my, by I can show you my trust by my works. You see, you see how this is, is coming along. Why he's rebuking them? He's saying even the devils believe that there is a God. So don't just say, "Well, I believe that there's God. I believe in God." Well, but so do the devils. And they shudder. They shudder at his name. Not enough. He's telling them it's by your action. And he's going after you. I know we're running short in time. We're we're almost over in time. And uh, next time we come on, I'll finish from chapter 3. But as you see, what what James is, is telling the church as a whole is like, hey, guys. You can't just come together and say you trust God and do the opposite. In fact, uh, okay, try not to talk about politics, okay? <laughs> Nancy Pelosi stands up and says that she wants to do God's will. Oh, I don't remember the exact quote she said. And then she goes into the house and votes for abortion, for, for refunding abortion with taxpayer money. And seeing it and hearing it 
on strikes. Okay, who are you calling Lord? Because if you're calling my God Lord, you're not okay with murder of innocent children. You see what I'm saying? Calling Satan Lord, then it makes sense. So clarify. So if you're saying that you're trusting God for your protection, for your provision, for wisdom, for energy, for all these things, and then you go and do the opposite, contrary to what you just said, then that's not what you, really what you believe. Those are empty words. You should be able to see it. This is what Hebrews 13, 7 and 17 are all about. And we should be able to imitate the trust that our leaders have in God because we can see it visibly. We can hear with our ears. We can see with our eyes and see the goodness of God in their lives and how to operate and and walk it out. This is what Hebrews 13, 7 and 17 says. Now understand, there's there's a wrong translation in 17. it doesn't say that your leaders rule over you. That goes exactly exactly against what Jesus said. So we're not like the heathen who lord over, who rule over people. You want to be the greatest? You serve, right? It's not what it's saying. It's saying imitate your respons- leaders. You're responsible to demonstrate trust in God. To the people you lead. God wants us to return back to Him, to, to, to be able to demonstrate, understand, not from a works perspective. You're not trying to do works to be saved, okay? It can never happen, it's impossible. But you have to trust in God. And because you trust in him, because of the nature that he's placed in you, he's deposited in you, that he's entrusted you to watch over by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, right? You operate from there. God has made you made you righteous. Therefore, you can't help but do righteous works. You can't help but... Do, but be righteous because he's made you righteous. The core of who you are, the nature of who you are is now righteous. But what are we, what are we doing in this church? We're, we're hypocrites. We're hypocrites. Why? Because we're still trying to act like the world when we're no longer of the world. We're not being true to the nature of God that he's deposited and entrusted us with. God put the greatest thing in all of creation, in all of time, in us. He's put himself. Do you see this? Do you understand this? It's not something to be taken lightly. It's not something to be treaded upon and and, and laughed at or made fun of. This is serious. 
And this is why he's calling the church back to these simple truths where we, we can operate without fear of being judged or made fun of or criticized because they don't dictate to us who we are because we know who we are in Christ Jesus. Christ is in us. This is the key. Who is Christ? Who is he in you? Does his nature change? No, impossible. He's in you. He changes you. You've been implanted with the word of God. God has embedded his word in you. Nurture. In John chapter 1, verse 14. When you go and you read that, it's easy to kind of glance over it and and see the, the past tense verbiage, the verbs there. And you think it's all past tense, but it's it's not what it's saying there. It's saying, look, let's go there real quick. Let's go there real quick. Let me bring it up for you. Lay this out very simply. Because God wants you to understand. Uh, Let's see. It actually starts in, yeah, verse 14. God wants us to realize this. It says, the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. It's not what it says in Greek. It's not. It says more than that in Greek. It says the word of God, and this is a, a verb tense, and that's why they can't translate into English very well, that is outside of time. If we plugged it into time, it would say the word of God became flesh, becomes flesh, and will become flesh. Right? Because you, pl- you can place it into time. So it's a timeless truth that echoes through eternity. And dwelt among us. The actual word there is, if you do some research and study this out, is from the the, the uh, festival or the Feast of Booths, right? Sukkoth. So the actual word there, the actual word there is um, booths or, or, or tents or temporary dwellings, right? Is so he's saying when they're in the temporary dwelling, God came and dwelt with them. So here it's saying is, the word of God becomes flesh and dwells not among us. The word isn't among. Go back and look at the Greek. Dwells. And so I'm bringing this up, and I don't want to confuse you, but I want you to understand is as we are obedient to God's word, as we obey his commandments, Jesus in us begins to take on flesh, begins to manifest, and you can see that the word becomes flesh. People can see Jesus. People can see the word of God live and in color, live and in person, 
this past Sunday, I was at church and I noticed this guy go up for prayer. Um, so let me tell you, we go to this, we have a home church that we go because we pour out constantly. We're always giving, giving, giving. One of we we decided to have a place we can go and we can we can recharge. We can just be ministered to and and loved on and, and without responsibilities and, and all the pressure and everything else. So it's not go 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 all the time. You know we need time to rest as well. And so we're at church, and I see this this young man holding his back, and he goes up for prayer. And um, God tells me, you need to pray for him. I said, okay. So I'm waiting for the right opportunity. And sometimes when we don't respond right away, um, it could it could go either way. You can miss the opportunity or you can um, walk right into it, right? So um, I didn't I didn't have the opportunity, uh, the greeting time of service or anything like that to pray for him. So at the very end, I'm, I'm waiting for Daisy, and she's asking questions about some of the stuff at church um, to to the staff. And this man starts walking towards me, and he's holding his back still. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I go, excuse me, is your back still here? He goes, yeah, yeah, it's really bad. And I was like, I go, give me your hand. <laughs> and and I, I didn't think anything of it because I'm, I'm so used to, you know, just dumping, jumping in and praying for people and going to the church, right? And I go, I'm sorry, I'm going to pray for you. Is that okay? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I prayed for him. All, of, all the pain goes away, and he's he's freaking out. And he says that he, he knows his hips have shifted, and that's what's causing the pain. So he checked his legs, and sure enough, one of his legs was about half an inch shorter, and he immediately pops out. And he's just looking at me, smiling. He gets up, and he goes, I feel very, very minute, like a very small pain. So okay. And so just pray one more time. So we pray one more time. He accidentally drops the water ball. He bends over and grabs it and realizes he has no pain at all. That Jesus completely healed him. So in that moment, the word of God became flesh. And you lay hands on the sick, and they recover. Just like Jesus did. It became a reality. It manifested. The result was visible and tangible. It could be seen. And he was amazed. And uh, he even found me on Facebook and uh, sent me a friend request. And it was, he was, I'm, my back is still perfect. It's great. I'm like, yeah, it's, Jesus paid for it. He, he paid for it all. He took care of it. Because he loves you. He's like, amen, yes, that's right. And so in this, this is what God wants. Because we think we can just read and, and, and know someone. And that's not true. It's not true with police. It's not true with profiling. No, that's true. You don't really know the person. You can make assessments and judgments and, and different things like that, but you don't really know the person. You don't know what makes them tick or how they work or why they work the way they work. No matter how you spin it, everyone's completely different. But God knows how we work. Right? He knows how we think. He knows everything about us. He, he designed our inward parts. He fashioned them. He molded them. Don't know how to put it any other way. It's just 
God is he's just so amazing. He's, he's so kind. He's so loving. And he wants the church to return back to truth. He wants the church to come back to walking with him in truth, in the spirit, letting, letting him manifest in our lives. Letting him show himself to this world for who he is. And, and this is basically what God's been showing me. And this is why Jesus goes, I don't say anything. That my father has to. I, I say what my father says. I do what my father does. The only thing I do. Nothing else. I, I'm not here to do my will. I'm here to do his will. That has to become our cry. It has to become the cry of our hearts as well. God, I'm not here to judge and, and see things and, and do things by what I see, what I feel, what I sense. Bottom line is, I'm here to do your will. I'm going to do your your will regardless. Doesn't matter how I feel. Doesn't matter what I think. Doesn't matter what I see, and this is what what James is calling them back to is that steadfastness that where their trust has been tested under trial, where they can say, "I absolutely trust God, and I can show you because of what I've gone through the the works that I produce is completely God, it's him working the work in me." And through me. And it's, it's just very simple. So we'll, we'll start in chapter three um, next time we jump on and continue uh, part two of walking with James. Uh, it's just, there's, there's so much there to kind of get into and, and jump back and forth. I, I'm, I'm trying to stay true to the tone and the character and, and what he, James is presenting. And I'm, I'm telling you, it's, it just blew me away. And it builds all the way up to chapter four, where you see he fully lays into them. So if you want to jump ahead with this understanding that I'm presenting to you today, tonight, go back, read over it and see what it's saying. And you can see how the church today has been the biggest violator of, of what James is saying and what he's truly per, um, portraying and communicating to the church. So we need to heed James's correction and step into truth. Amen? Dorothy? <laughs> yes, that was very good. Very good. And... uh it's so strange that um, uh, trials and, and things like that and learning about trials and um, reviewing a book about trials and it seems to all the same time, the lessons. But definitely it's important to trust God, to trust that you will hear him and to obey him. And he has put Nancy Pelosi on my heart to pray for her. So I have been obeying. Amen. Amen. <laughs> and it's, uh, 
it's he's done that to me a few times, having me pray for people I don't care for, you know, because you don't care for their behavior. But when he asks you to pray for them, it puts it back in perspective that they are just very, very lost and very, very confused. Right. So, and, you know, Nancy Pelosi is Catholic. So that explains a lot, too. Um, yes and no, uh, because the, the conservative Catholics, they don't agree with abortion. And so That's true. The church itself does, yeah, the church itself doesn't agree with abortion. It, right. Isn't it? What do they call it when the Pope makes a thing? <laughs> a proclamation oh, um, or whatever. Yes, a decree or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, it is against her own church. In fact, I think there was talk at one time of excommunicating her. Well, the main thing is, you know, being obedient to God and and, and praying and, and and just walking with God. It's because there's so many things to, to bring up and talk about, but we'll be here for another hour. <laughs> <laughs> or two or three. Just, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's just, you know, being obedient to God. And the same thing with me. Um, I've been praying for our country. I've been praying for other countries. I've been, um, God's been putting different people on my heart. And I, and I just talk to God and pray for them in that moment. Because if you say, well, I'm going to, when I, when later I'll remember and I'll pray for them. You're not going to remember. Let's be honest. Right. <laughs> and unless your spirit tells you, or the Holy Spirit tells you, or reminds you. But if you just in that moment, if you're at work, whatever you're doing, just just like Dorothy said, just take a moment and just just pray and thank God and and trust and know that God heard you and He's changing the situation. Did you see the speeches last night? The what? The speeches, President Trump, and then the rebuttal. Oh, made a speech. Yeah. I, I, I watched uh, the unfiltered version of President Trump on on um, an unbiased uh, media channel on YouTube, and then um, I didn't watch the other two because I figured I knew what they were going to say. I just saw the headlines today on how uh, they tried to go back and fact fact check Trump, and uh, he proved they all they did was prove him right and worse, right? <laughs> <laughs> they he under he undershot some of the statistics, and then what I'm waiting to see if they're going to do a fact check on Nancy Pelosi and uh, Chuck Schumer. But they didn't mention any facts, did they? They just no. um, talked about emotion, and I know I watched them both live, and I prayed all the way through about it, and and you know. Yeah, and one of the things I prayed was that nobody would nobody would take the Democratic rebuttal seriously, and then it would come across their ears as just pure nonsense. And then I look at the news today, and it, that's what it is. Everybody's saying it was nonsense. So, yeah, yeah, uh, I yeah, I have so many mixed uh, thoughts and and um, and everything about it. 
but at the end of the day, we we still need a two party system at least two parties. Um, and I wish and I pray for the future that there's strong Christian parties, right? Because then there would be more collaboration, be more working together, there'd be more problem solving, there'd be a lot more going on instead of um, what we see today and just the Luciferian society being bred and, and growing more and more in, in our society today and in movies, videos, I mean, all kinds of stuff. If you go back 30 years, 40 years, it was non-existent. Um, as far as the mainstream or the, the the main eye of being able to see it all, right. we used, it wasn't out in the public. We used to have a, a core set of common values. And that is quickly disappearing, you know, very quickly disappearing. And I think it's the times as well as, you know, it's the end times. So, but that doesn't mean we just give up and let it take over. We fight for as much spiritual land as we can get, you know. Right, right. Well, this has been the case since you know back in Babylonian times they 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 start off strong and then or oh, even further back it's it's been throughout history they start strong and near the end of their society um or civilization or country or empire there's a huge moral decline and then it collapses so the romans had the the longest which was, I think it was 400 years or so, and then it collapsed. And then um, we're still relatively young as a country, but you can see how they're really trying to push the United States in that direction because they understand this is how to destroy people, destroy the will of the people, is by taking the stronger, or the strong, people think is the strongest, and destroying them from the inside out. So the the Luciferians, they know that. They understand this. And this is something the church needs to wake up to reality of and stop fighting amongst themselves when, when there's a legitimate real enemy out there. Because let's say they have their way. You know, there's, there's a number of warnings that have gone out um, that they're going to start basically hunting Christians and persecuting Christians here in the United States. And it's actually already started mm-hmm. in, in different remote, remote areas in certain states. Um, and to think that that's even possible is like, well, hello, they've been turning up the heat and boiling the frogs slowly. So why are they after the United States? Well, the United States, according to, um, a number of mission organizations pro- uh, provides 80%, 80, 80% of all missions, funds for missions around the world. Do you know that? I knew it was a high figure. I didn't know exactly what it was. And I know that's part of our um, destiny to do that. That's, you know, a way back when the... They weren't pilgrims yet, but those that came over on the Mayflower, 
made a compact, a covenant with God. And yes, I know those Masons, the Freemasons, got their two cents in along the road. But I think Father has always honored that original compact with him, even with the mess-ups we've done, you know? And Yeah, uh, yeah well, it's definitely spiritual, and you can see everything that's going on is definitely spiritually related. Um, because anytime God has a victory or um, the believers stand up and allow God to fight for us, uh, they throw a huge fit and they melt down and they start manifesting demons, basically. So we just need to stay on it, continue praying for our leaders, just as we're instructed to in, in Romans, and keep moving forward. I'm going to go ahead and pray and we can close out want to just say again you know uh, yeah. stay tuned for 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 next next time as we continue taking a walk with James <laughs> through his epistle and 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 seeing everything that he he warns the church of that they were participating in um but if you have sickness in your body if you have any pain if you have a need you're lacking something, any direction, uh, just in this moment, just just hold out your hands and just receive from God. Okay? And you're gonna see he's gonna he's gonna just put it in your hands, he's gonna put it in your heart, he's gonna put it in your mind. Whatever it is. If it's pain in your body, it's just gonna disappear as he, he melts or he pours himself over you. Okay? So right now in Jesus' name. You be healed, you be whole. Provision, you come. We thank you, Father, right now for all provision. We thank you for for ideas. We thank you for wisdom. We thank you for guidance and direction in everyone's life. All sickness. All death. You go now. Provision, you come. Provision of health, provision of finances, provision of emotional health, strength, energy. You come now. All stress, you go. You have no place in anyone's body. You go completely. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. Thank you for tuning in, and uh, we look forward to um, hosting or having you join us again next time, and God bless you, and you have a good night. God bless you, Dorothy. Thank you so much. Thank you, Anthony. Father bless everyone. Good night.